Praise the Lord. What a great day to be alive. <sighs> well, I'm going to, uh, at any moment, Jerry Swansea is going to pop in. Remember how we said last week, he'll come on in and we'll have a time of prayer for him. We'll let him share. Well, he missed his opportunity. He forgot. I went in, uh, while Janet was sharing at the end, I went on in there and I'm looking all over for him. I went into the back room. He wasn't there. So anyway, he'll come today and we'll uh, greet him. Uh, Janet, have a little time of prayer for him. We'll give him a little envelope and let him know we love him. He's going to Nashville. That's a great place. Well, today I'm going to share some biblical truth uh, with you today of how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies and types and shadows of his last week on earth. I think that's significant for us. Now, unfortunately, in our Western traditions of Christianity, sometimes we detour from biblical truth in places because we have moved so far from our Hebraic roots. So I may share some things this morning that are new in your hearing. Like I did two weeks ago when I talked about Jesus's birth and we looked at the scriptures and historical evidence <clears throat> that Jesus was born on the first of Nisan, which is always in the spring, never in December. But I hope that you'll have an open mind this morning and your heart will be open to what the Lord wants to reveal to us to make us freer and to have greater understanding. And my prayer is that God, Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, that he will lead us into all truth, just as Jesus said he would. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. This is going to be our main text this morning. We'll come to it three different times, so stay there once you find that. Luke 19. The great triumphant and triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I'm going to start in verse... 29. And then after I read the scripture, I'll pray and blow the shofar, and then we'll look into the scriptures. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage, at Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt that is tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, well, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosening the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Wow, there must have been an anointing in that statement. Oh, okay, you can take my coat. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the coat and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. 
Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Shalom in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Amen. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, this is a powerful scripture. Your last entry into the city of the great king. Lord, I pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts this morning that we could understand as to how you understand. Lord, I pray for a release of the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, let that be our possession this morning. We want to think like Jesus. We want to feel like Jesus. We want to know like Jesus. So Lord, come and speak to us this morning about these significant last days of your 33 some years on earth. Lord, that we might get a clearer picture of what really happened. I pray great grace to come upon our hearing and that we'd recognize your voice in a very clear and distinct way, Lord. Lord, we just pray that grace would come upon our hearing. You'd not only give us this morning hearing ears. Father, I pray by your spirit, you would give us hearing hearts. Grant this to the glory and majesty of the truth in Jesus Christ, who is the truth embodiment. Amen. Amen. At the end of Jesus' ministry, now, people are heralding Jesus as king on the Sunday before he was betrayed just a few days later. The Jewish people called Jesus Ben David, son of David. They also cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they were attributing to Jesus a messianic title probably shocking to the religious authorities of his day. Absolutely amazing. They thought he would deliver them from all Roman occupation and restore their freedoms and their status as a people. But what happened that day 
was a fulfillment instead of a messianic prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, what happened? The people shouted, Hosanna, like we sang this morning, which means, please save us. And the Hebrew word is actually two words. It's Hoshiana. Hoshiana. But you put the two of them together, and that's where we get the English word Hosanna, which is taken from Psalm 118, verse 25. And that verse says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Hoshiana Adonai. That is a cry that's going all throughout Israel this week. Hallelujah. There are six consecutive psalms of praise that are quoted on very special occasions when the Jewish people feel an extra obligation to praise God. And Passover week is one of those occasions. And the psalms that they quote are the Psalms 113 through 118. It's good for you to read those this week. And you'll be doing exactly what the first covenant men and women of God will do this week. They will read and sing these five psalms. I want to just read a few verses from these psalms. Uh, Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Glorify him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures, endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, do l'adonai kitov, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's the prophetic message of the Messiah. And this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Hoshiana Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I see that Jerry came in. I'll have him come up in just a minute. These psalms will be quoted and read out loud all throughout Israel this week. And many Israelis read these out loud daily. It's a good thing for us to read these out loud. They're the songs of ascent, getting ready to meet with God in a greater way. Psalm 18, 118 is recited on the way to the temple. And when you're in the temple on Passover Eve, and we saw this happen yearly, 
We lived about 10 miles outside Jerusalem in a little uh, moshav, a cooperative community and a little village in the rolling hills of Judea. And we saw this happen every year. The words of Psalm 118 speak of Messiah Jesus as a chief cornerstone and the source of salvation. And we could see the peoples walk on the sides of the mountain and down in the valley and you could hear them singing songs of ascent or quoting the songs with their backpacks and their water bottles and they're doing a 10-mile truck up to Jerusalem. Still doing it these days. Amazing. Jerry, come. Janet, come. We're going to take a pause here. Well, Jerry, we missed you last week, brother. Oh, we love you. Just give us 60 seconds of what you're going to be doing. So uh, this Sunday is my last Sunday here at Highland. Uh, oh, take it up. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, this Sunday is my last Sunday here at Highland, and uh, we will be prayed and commissioned um, during the third gathering. We've been here five years and three months. Um, excited to take a new position at uh, Bristol, Tennessee, to be the worship pastor at First Presbyterian Church uh, in Bristol, Tennessee, and uh, also be the campus missions coordinator for King University, where we just felt God was calling us to go serve and lead the local congregation there. Uh, we leave Waco on Wednesday, pack up our stuff, and, uh, and head out. You guys have been special, and we really wanted to just take time. If you can make it in the third gathering, uh, the church is going to be praying for us. So you, we would love for you to be there to pray with us and uh, also commission us. And uh, we really appreciate all the love we've enjoyed here. Please keep praying for us. Uh, Waco will always be home. I know Nigeria's home, but, <laughs> but Waco will always be home, and Highland would also be home. Uh, we love each and every one of you here. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity, Reuven and, uh, and Janet. Janet's going to pray for you. Appreciate it. So I'm going to pray a few verses out of Deuteronomy 28 of our brother. Haven't you enjoyed and appreciated his ministry Hallelujah. here? Amen. Yes. You know, it just has an anointing upon him when he calls us to worship. And there's, there's a lifting of spirits and attention to the Lord. So we're going to miss you very much, Jerry. Amen. Really, really. Okay, let's pray. This is from Deuteronomy 28. Jerry, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. You've been blessed as you've come in here. You've been a blessing here. You're going to be blessed as you go out. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land in Tennessee, which mm. the Lord your God is giving you. Mm. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, not just Jerry alone, but his entire family set aside for the purposes of God. If you will keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, and then all the peoples will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Amen. 
Lord, we pray an anointing upon Jerry, Lord, to double. We pray an increased anointing upon him. Thank you for what he's been walking in, the blessing and the anointing of God. Lord, would you increase his capacity for more of your presence? Would you come upon him in the power of the Holy Spirit in new dimensions? And would you minister his li your life? and a greater sense of praise and worship in that congregation and also mission endeavors. We bless him, Lord. We are so grateful that you put him here for these five years. He's made such a difference in the life of our church and the life of our people. We know that he will go from faith to faith and strength to strength and glory to glory, that you're taking him on and that you're going to do amazing things in him, with him, and through him. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Be glorified in our brethren and in his family, we pray. Amen. 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 I love you, Jerry. Sorry, I have to run back to... <laughs> I had forgotten that he's going to be going there for, to King's University. Whenever I hear the word king, there's something in me that goes, mm, yes. I rejoice when I hear the word king. Jen and I had the privilege of being on pastoral staff at King of Kings congregation in Jerusalem. And when we started a media school, out of, uh, out of our congregation, it was called King's Media School. So anything that has the king in it, I'm all for it. Well, let's get back to the king and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus did not come the first time in his first coming to fight for the Jewish freedom from their oppression from Rome. No, he did not. His first coming was to save their souls as Messiah. He came to bring redemption. He came to bring Yeshua, salvation. To provide salvation not only to the Jewish people, but in their rejection to all mankind forever. To reconcile us to God. And if Jesus had wanted to fight for their freedom, listen, he would have ridden on a horse, not on a donkey. Amen. Because horses were ridden during times of war. But donkeys were only ridden during times of peace by royalty as a sign of humility. And when Jesus comes the second time, he will not be riding a donkey. Amen. He will be riding a magnificent white horse. Hallelujah. Can you imagine? This white horse is the white horse that Jesus himself picked out. Yeah, it's going to be a wow. The horse in itself, let alone the rider. Woo. Oh, I look forward to that day. Well, let's see what's going to happen. Or what did happen when he arrived in the city. Let's go back to Luke. You have your finger there, your bookmark there, Luke 19. Now let's look at verses 41 through 44. Now as he drew near, all right, he's, he's on the donkey, he's starting to come near. He saw the city. No, he wasn't on the donkey yet. Excuse me. He saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. The place is now called the Teardrop Church, right on the side of the Mount of Olives. Every tour we bring there, we go there and have a time of reminiscing this event. But he wept not just because he loved Jerusalem, but because he loved the people of Jerusalem. The people had not recognized that he came to bring them shalom. He was the prince of shalom. But they didn't receive him as Messiah. So while weeping, he prophesied the destruction of the city and the people that he loved so dearly. They had missed their opportunity to repent and receive his salvation. And eventually the city and its people would be destroyed. And that happened about 40 years later in around 70 AD. They missed his visitation. I pray we will not miss ours. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If you have not had a serious talk with the Lord in a while, this is the perfect week to have that conversation. I want to encourage you. This week, I'm going to be examining my heart. I pray you would too. Examine our heart. Examine our lives. And let's look to get things right with God. Consider your sins of omission. Neglecting to do what you know you should do. In other words, share the gospel or intercede. You know you should be interceding. You're not doing it. Repent of that. Ask the Lord's forgiveness. He's called you to study the scriptures and you barely have time to read. He's called you to do good to your neighbors and we've held back sins of omission. Lord, show us that we might ask forgiveness in turn. Sins of commission, the things that you think, the things that you do. The things that you say that offend a holy God or offend others. Pursue reconciliation. Pursue restoration this week. Holy week. Forgive everyone that has ever sinned against you. Sins of disposition. The attitudes that we have that are critical. Our complaining our discontent. Listen, we need to confess all that. That's all junk garbage. It's sin. It's the wrong way. It's missing the mark. You know, this week, how about if we all have a common resolve to change? We must not continue in sin when Jesus died to set us free from it. I'll repeat. We must not continue in sin when Jesus died to set us free from it. Amen. The feast of Passover and unleavened bread began last night, Saturday. 
And leaven represents sin. And in Israel, Jewish people burnt their bread all week long and all foods that contain leaven. But I'll tell you what, the fragrance of the entire city is like burnt toast. But it's, it's good. It's like a holy smoke. Holy smokes. And for days prior to Passover, they thoroughly clean their homes to make sure that every bit of leaven is out. Symbolically, Lord, I open my heart. Search me and know my way. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Point it out that I might confess and repent. What they do in the natural, we must do in the spirit. You know, this is what was so impressive to me in my almost 30 years of living in Israel is that the rabbis would always tell the people, this is nationwide, to make things right with God and with others. Reconciliation, the rabbis get it. They strongly urge confession, repentance, reconciliation. Now, if only church leaders would get that common message. Confession, repentance, reconciliation, holy week. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now let's go back to Luke 19, our main text of this morning. And let's look at verses 45 and 46. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus drove out the money changers and those who sold overpriced sacrificial animals. But you see, he accused them of more than just being thieves. They knew the scriptures and they knew what he was referring to. He was referring to Jeremiah 7 verses 9 through 11. It reads, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know and then come and stand before me in this house, in this house, which is called by my name? And then say, we are delivered in doing all these abominations. Jesus was inferring that they were thieves and murderers and adulterers and liars and idolaters. They were defiling the house of God with their sin. Amen. Today, Palm Sunday is the beginning of Passion Week. And today 
is the 10th of Nisan. Now, for those of you who were not here two weeks ago, I brought out the significance of the biblical Old Testament in dating. Not dating between guys and girls. Dates. Dates. Specific events that happen on certain dates. The first of Nisan is what we looked at two weeks ago in the significance of the birth of Jesus. Now, this is significant, the 10th of Nisan. There's a reason why Jesus entered Jerusalem and the temple on this exact day. And we find the answer in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Let's all turn there. Keep, your, keep a bookmark in Luke 19, but turn to Exodus 12. Here we find the significance of the 10th of Nisan. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Get the picture. Already God is speaking to them when they are in Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. Now when it says this month, it gives the month Nisan. And it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The high priest would select a perfect lamb to be sacrificed from that herd of priestly lambs that we talked about two weeks ago that were born the year before in the lambing caves near Bethlehem. And after selection, he would bring the lamb to Jerusalem and have it on display in the temple. It was raised up. As soon as you walked in the temple, first thing you saw was the lamb. Displayed, and it would be inspected for four days preceding the Passover. The lamb had to be perfect without any blemish. So the religious leaders looked over the lamb very carefully all four days. In fulfillment of what we read in Exodus 12, Jesus had to enter Jerusalem and the temple on the 10th of Nisan. The same day that the lamb was selected out of all the flocks to be set apart for the sacrifice. Now I want you to imagine Jesus coming into the temple that week. And he would see that Passover lamb on display as everyone looked, even for the slightest blemish. Listen, they had blemish consciousness. They were looking for the spots. They were looking for the flaw. Imagine what ran through his mind, knowing that he too would be a sacrificial lamb on display before his examiners, both Jewish and Roman. Because for four days, 
from the 10th of Nisan through the 13th of Nisan. 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. Four days. They demanded by what authority could he overturn these tables. They asked him about paying taxes to Caesar. They challenged him about marriage in heaven and the greatest commandment. They asked him all kinds of questions looking to trap him, looking for the flaw, looking for the blemish. Jesus passed the examination process perfectly. Amen. Perfectly. During those four days, he proved to be the lamb without blemish for God's acceptable sacrificial Passover lamb. And on the 13th day of Nisan, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 13th day of Zisan, Nisan, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Hallelujah. Hmm. Historians tell us that the year Jesus died, and this is significant, that there was a double Sabbath with the Feast of Passover and the weekly Sabbath that week. That means that both Friday and Saturday were considered Sabbaths. So Jesus dying on Thursday, we can see how he would have been dead three days and three nights in the womb of the earth. Just as he prophesied, Jesus prophesied in Luke 24. Luke 24, 1 through 3 says, Now on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Friends, think of this. After celebrating the Passover with the disciples, he was arrested. That night he was betrayed, he was tried, and he was crucified the next morning, the 14th of Nisan at 9 a.m. And he was crucified the same day that all the Passover lambs were to be sacrificed. And he died. He went into the heart of the earth. He died. But he rose three days later. Here's the prophecy that I love that Jesus spoke about that has puzzled many people for centuries. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Think about that. Now we celebrate Good Friday as the day that Jesus died. Amen? If Jesus died Friday afternoon, then there would be Friday night. And then there would be Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. And then there'd be Sunday morning and... Where's the night? There's not a night. And this has perplexed every Jew that comes to saving knowledge of Jesus. They read this and they go, but Christians celebrate on Friday. Where's the third night? And the historians founded it. 
They found out that double Sabbath makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus died on Thursday, not Friday. Because it was the first day of the week, Sunday, and very early in morning that they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices. Friends, listen, how long is first, how long has Good Friday been celebrated? Not forever, that's right. You know when it started? It's estimated its earliest beginnings of being recognized was the second century. Already they were removing their Jewish heritage and traditions because the primary church that was rising was the church in Rome. And they did not want to be associated with the Jews in Judea and Samaria. It was only officially recognized in both the Roman and the Greek Orthodox Church in the fourth century. They had so strayed from all their Jewish awareness. The Old Testament was old news. But they missed it. They missed it. Only from the fourth century, and they made Friday so holy, it was a forced fasting day. From the fourth century on, it was mandatory, you must fast on Good Friday. How many of you remember when you were real little to fast on, on Good Friday? Only me? Yes, all of us ex-Catholics, hallelujah. We know what it was when the good nun said, you must fast on Friday. What do I mean? I can't have a, my fish stick, whatever. <laughs> this is significant. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is why Bible prophecy is so significant. This was a prophecy from the king himself. I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Last week or two weeks ago, I talked about Jesus' birth being a little bit skewed, about seven months, nine months. Well, I really believe we've missed it a bit by a day. There are 29 Old Testament prophecies that speak about the betrayal, the trial, the death, and the burial of Messiah Jesus. Bible prophecy is strategic. I didn't hear one amen. amen. There we go. Listen, these 29 prophecies about Jesus, they're all spoken by different people during the years of 1000 BC to 500 BC. And the possibility of one person meeting just eight of these prophecies, just eight, fulfilling eight prophecies, is one to the 10 to the, are you ready? 17th power, eight prophecies. That's 17 zeros. That's what the probability is of one person fulfilling eight. Jesus fulfilled all 29 prophecies in a 24-hour period. Amen. Amen is right. Woo. That's, that's incredible. It's exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or even think. We can't imagine that. How many zeros must there be behind 29 fulfilled prophecies? Wow. There are three things that prove that Jesus is by far the Messiah. 
First, he fulfilled Messianic prophecy. He fulfilled it perfectly. Second is the historical fact of his resurrection. His body was gone and they have never found it, ever. And third, the impact of his life upon history and countless individuals around the world that have been dra drastically affected by his life. Amen. You and I among them. But before long, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, who was crucified and rose from the dead and then ascended to the Most High throne. He will ride on a horse majestically as a king ready to fight and judge. The next time he comes, he's not going to humbly ride into town on a donkey. He's going to come triumphantly to rule and judge the nations. Amen. And the fear of him will be in every heart. The Lord. Listen to Revelation 19. I'm going to give you a little forerun of what it's going to look like when Jesus comes. John says, and I saw heaven opened. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Heaven was open to behold a white horse. What a white horse that's going to be. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Wow. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I tell you, there's going to be nothing reserved among men when Jesus comes. <laughs> it is going to be some kind of day. I want to close this morning with a prophetic poem that came out two years ago in this season. The first time I came, I came as a lamb. I humbled myself and I, and I walked as a man. But this time I'm coming as a mighty lion and I will cause my church to have a backbone of iron. I will move by my spirit and cause you to pray. You shall pull down strongholds and stand in that way. For I'm raising up a people never seen before by my spirit filled and ready for war. This battle won't be fought with ammunition, but with songs of praise, you will take your position. 
Your ears will be tuned to the captain's command. You'll take over cities. You'll march throughout the land. Men, women, and children will take their stand. All colors, all races will walk hand in hand. The army will be filled with the Holy Ghost, and their commander-in-chief is the Lord of hosts. Everyone marching in one accord, all in this army sold out to the Lord. With all their eyes on the crucified one, and everyone moving in unison. Hallelujah. Lord, we just love you this morning. Lord, thank you that you're wanting to set in order everything that's not. And Lord, we just ask that first and foremost, you set your order in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we want to yield to the spirit of truth this week in a deeper way. Lord, I think of the words of John the Baptist, your cousin, when he cried out in John 3 and said, he must increase and I must decrease. Lord, that's my prayer for all of us this week, that you might increase. Go to areas that we've been reserved. Go to areas that we've been hiding that every area that has any shadow, any darkness, Holy Spirit, take your liberty to penetrate. Every area of obscurity, every area of hidden darkness. And expose, Lord, not that we might be shamed, but that we might confess. That we might confess, that we might move into a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that works salvation. Lord, we want to we wanna be saved more to the glory of God. We want you to increase more that knowledge and revelation of eternal life, knowing God. I pray that this week we could know you better, know you deeper, press in, Let us run, let us run unto the Lord was the song of Hosea. So Lord, receive, receive the offering of ourselves in this Passover season. On this Palm Sunday, Lord, we rejoice with the multitudes, but we say you already, you already deserve crowning and kingship in our lives. So Lord, thank you that this can be a holy week for all of us, not just in a religious sense, but in a term of genuine reality. We want to encounter the Holy One of Israel. Bring that to pass so that more of Jesus can be seen, more of Jesus can be recognized, more of Jesus can be heard in and through each of our lives. Grant this, Father, I pray to the glory of you, God, our Father, to the glory of you, Jesus, our King, our Lord, and to the glory of you, Holy Spirit, who makes it all come together. Blessed be your glorious name, nature, character, person, authority. Amen.
Amen. Praise the Lord. <sighs> Happy Passover. Have a great Palm Sunday. Is that a question? Yeah, hit the stop button. Stop.